Extra Daily Planet Extra. Who are these new guys? Why are they here? What is their place? In a world without a Superman. The Man of Steel is dead. We saw the body. It's time for human beings to stop relying on leagues and titans and start saving ourselves. I can give each of you the power to be your own hero. Clark's body disappears and suddenly these new supermen show up out of the blue. Who the hell are you? I'm Superman. There is only one Superman. You look like Superman, but Superman died in my arms. For my people, death doesn't have to be the end. Terrible things are coming, Lois. I can feel it. We gotta be our own heroes. We sure as hell could make some noise. When the Daily Planet said Superman is dead, it painted a target on the Earth. How do we even begin to fight that? The Man of Scream. Everybody, welcome to episode 24 of Man of Screen Extra. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and this episode I'm going to look at the WB Animation uh, direct-to-video feature film, Reign of the Superman, an animated movie based on the 1993 comic, which brought Superman back at the end of the uh, death and return of Superman storyline. You know, the storyline that they say broke death in comic books. I don't necessarily believe that, but you know, some people do say that. If you remember from back... Last August, I released a commentary on The Death of Superman, which was the first movie in this duology. I am not going to do a commentary this time. This time, I'm just going to do a straight-up episode and uh, and talk about it. So, before I get into that, feedback to address. This is from Dave McElvenny. Dave is writing in on Man of Screen Extra, episode 23, in which I talked about Aquaman. And Dave writes, Greetings, Mike. Yes, you are sort of missing the point of a hiatus, but it's your podcast, your rules. I just saw Aquaman today and listened to your episode on the movie. I enjoyed the movie quite a lot, and I think you fit the nail on the head in your comments on it. It was fun, as comic books and comic book movies should be, I think. I wouldn't say this movie embraces the silliness of the source material, but it certainly embraces the fun. Some moments I loved. Aquaman on a seahorse. Arthur and Mira's trip to the Sahara, and then Sicily to search for clues to to the location of the Trident. I thought that was very Indiana Jones. The variety of races in the underwater kingdoms. At one point, I thought I glimpsed a traditional merman with a man's upper body and the lower half of a fish. Of course, as a Silver Age fan, I immediately wondered if Laurie Lamaris is part of the universe. I also loved, maybe more than I should have, seeing a creator credit for Mort Weisinger. I know he has a reputation as a difficult man to work for, but I like to see creator credits. It was also great to see Aquaman in his green and gold costume. As an old guy, my version of Aquaman is normally as a clean-shaven, short-haired fella, but I'll take the long hair, beard, and tattoos if I can have the costume. Even the villains were good to see, both Black Manta and Orm. I wouldn't mind seeing either or both of them in the future. In all honesty, there wasn't really anything I disliked about this movie, and I take that as a good sign for the DC movies. Thanks for this episode, and take the future of the podcast at whatever pace works best for you. Live long and prosper. Dave. So, yeah, when Dave mentions that about me missing the point of a hiatus, he's basically referring to the flurry of Man of Screen extras that I released at the uh, end of December, which covered the, the CW crossover, Elseworlds, 
I think from there, I went, I went right into the, the fo- a few days later with coverage of A Christmas Carol, Christmas, and then a week later, Aquaman. So this was the third of three episodes in quick succession. This one coming out a month later. At this point, plans are still on track. I have four episodes recorded and edited. Another At the moment of this recording, I'm about halfway through recording of the season 5 1980 shorts. And I've watched the episodes for the third, so I'll be recording that one shortly. So I should have eight episodes in the books, hopefully, before I start dropping episodes. After those eight episodes, I'll be heading into Superman 2, so I will at least have the next two months worth of episodes done when I come back in March. I really don't have anything to add to Dave's letter. A lot of it is uh, kind of Dave agreeing with me, which makes uh, for lousy responses for me, at least. So I guess what I'll do now is take a quick break, play a podcast promo then i'll come back and talk a little bit about the uh, background of reign of the superman hang around folks are you willing to follow me on a journey and risk getting lost in a swirling maze of past ages protected only by our red indestructible capes as we break through the final unexplored realm of the time barrier to explore the fantastic Silver Age adventures of the world's greatest hero, Superman? If so, join me each week on the Superman Fan Podcast as together we'll follow the Man of Steel, his cousin Supergirl, and his closest friends, Perry White, Lois Lane, Jimmy Olsen, Lana Lang, Batman and Robin and others in Superman's never-ending quest to defend truth and justice in the pages of Action Comics, Superman, World's Finest Comics, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, and Superman's girlfriend Lois Lane. Go to the supermanfanpodcast.blogspot.com, available on iTunes and most other podcast aggregators. You can also follow the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Medium, Flipboard, and Stitcher. And after you listen, feel free to send email to supermanfanpodcast at gmail.com. And unless you request otherwise, I look forward to reading your comments on future episodes. And don't forget to wear your red indestructible cape, standard safety equipment for traveling through the time barrier. All right, welcome back, folks. So, a little bit about uh, Reign of the Supermen. As far as the movie goes, it, like I mentioned, it, it is an animated film produced by Warner Brothers Animation and DC Entertainment. It is a continuation of the story started in The Death of Superman, which was released back in August. I really see this, like I said, as more of a continuation than a sequel, so I'm going to go with that. It just kind of continues the story. It is the 12th film in the DC animated movie universe, which started in 2013, I want to say, with The Flashpoint Paradox. And overall, it is the 33rd film in the DC Universe animated original movies. And that series started with Superman Doomsday way back in 2007. So the one thing I really do want to say is that this is a much better version of the story than what was presented to us in Superman Doomsday. Superman Doomsday really just, it provided the entire Death and Return arc in about 80 minutes and 
You really can't do it right in that amount of time. It was hard enough just doing rain in almost 90 minutes, and the story is, you know, changed, but the beats are still there. I think this is as good of an adaptation that you can probably get in 87 minutes. And the film was released in limited Fathom Events Theaters on uh, January 13th. It was a double feature along with The Death of Superman, which I really wish I could have attended, but scheduling just did not work out that way. It was released to digital on January 15th, and it came out on January 29th on DVD and Blu-ray. So, as far as Reign of the Superman goes, I have quite the history with this story. I came into reading the comics during the Doomsday arc. I was moving out of Brooklyn at the time, and my collection really started with the death of Superman, and by extension, the return of Superman. I backtracked through much of the post-crisis, and somewhat through the Bronze Age, but I did do a lot of backtracking since I started collecting, and... I've been into the comics pretty much ever since. I took a break between 2000 and I want to say 2009, but I'm pretty sure I've backtracked to everything that I've wanted to read in that time frame. So I do consider myself pretty much caught up on Superman comics from the Burn Age on. And, you know, I remember when this story was coming out on a weekly basis, it was, it was interesting to me at 12 years old. I don't think I was ever necessarily fooled that any of the four Supermen were going to turn out to be Superman. I always had a feeling that a fifth Superman would have shown up and been the guy, and that faith was uh, rewarded, and that belief was rewarded when a fifth Superman actually did show up. But it was a very interesting story for me at that time, seeing Lois kind of trying to dig through the various Supermen to find uh, the real one later. So, back on to the movie. Uh, Voice cast is uh, Jerry O'Connell was Clark Kent Superman and the Cyborg Superman. His wife, in real life, Rebecca Romaine, was Lois Lane. Rain Wilson, fam- most famous for playing Dwight Schrute on The Office, was Lex Luthor. Cameron Monaghan, who plays Jerome on Gotham, the character that they're telling us is the Joker, he was Superboy. Cress Williams, uh, most notable for playing Black Lightning on The CW, and who, at one point, played Baron Sunday on a Season 3 episode of Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman. He played John Henry Irons in Steel. Patrick Fabian was Hank Henshaw and the Cyborg Superman. So I'm pretty much, I'm thinking that their his voice was kind of combined with Jerry O'Connell's to make the voice of the Cyborg. When you hear the Cyborg talk during the film, you definitely do hear a lot of Jerry O'Connell. Especially at the beginning when he's actually pretending to be Superman. You hear a lot more Patrick Fabian later on when, his, uh, when he's not pretending anymore. Oh, by the way, this movie will be heavily spoiled. So if you haven't seen the film yet, See it, and then come back for the podcast. I probably should have put that right out there on Front Street, but there it is right now. Additional cast members include uh, Jason O'Mara returning to be Batman. Rosario Dawson was Wonder Woman. Shamar Moore was Cyborg. Nathan Fillion was Green Lantern. Christopher Christopher Gorm played Barry Allen in The Flash. Nyambi Nyambi was John Jones, the Martian Manhunter. Tony Todd was Darkseid. Charles Halford was Bibbo and the Eradicator. Rocky Carroll was Perry White. Toxol Ungandoy was Cat Grant, and Uncru- <coughs> Max Middleman was Jimmy Olsen and Steve Lombard, Paul Elding was Jonathan Kent, Jennifer Hale played Martha Kent and President Dale, and Trevor Duvall was Dabney Donovan and G. Gordon Godfrey, and Erica Luttrell played the role of Mercy Graves. Film was directed by Sam Liu, produced by James Tucker, and written by Tim Sheridan and Jim Creek. So, so I'm going to head right into uh, a Wikipedia Provide a synopsis here for Reign of the Supermen. Six months following Superman's sacrifice to defeat Doomsday, the world has been introduced to four new, different versions of the hero. Superboy, Steel, Cyborg Superman, 
and the Eradicator. Each one of them is different in their personalities and crime-fighting style compared to the original Man of Steel, leaving the world questioning which one, if any, is the true Superman come back to life. Lois Lane, still reeling from Clark's death, decides to investigate. Jimmy packed up his desk. He has a box, but I haven't been to the planet since... When I'm there, it just reminds me he isn't. I should have called. I wanted to. I'm just glad he finally fessed up. Such a big secret to keep from you. I loved him too. I tried to tell him, but... Oh, honey. He knew. I just... I can't believe he's gone. He might not be if you watch that damn Grant woman. Jonathan! Clark's body disappears, and suddenly these new supermen show up out of the blue. What if one of them really is Clark, reborn? Not possible. I would know. Of course. I just mean... There are a lot of unanswered questions. When Superman first showed up in Metropolis, nobody knew what to make of him because nobody knew what to ask him. I knew what to ask him. I know what to ask these guys. I'm sorry, I gotta go. Lex Luthor holds a press conference introducing, introducing Superboy as a true Superman, sponsored and bankrolled by LexCorp. Lois attends a conference along with Steel and sneaks inside one of the labs inside LexCorp. It is there that Lois discovers through scientist Dabney Donovan that Superboy is a clone of Superman. Suddenly, the conference is attacked by the Eradicator, who seeks to eradicate Luthor. Superboy, and later Steel, try to stop him only to be defeated until the timely arrival of Cyborg Superman, who fights and drives away with the Eradicator. Lois writes an expose revealing Superboy to be a clone and asking if all the Supermen are fakes. This leads to a meeting between her and Cyborg Superman. Lane's not explicitly calling them fakes. She's asking the questions that need to be asked. After her stunning LexCorp clone expose, she's got our attention. Hello, Miss Lane. I guess you got my message. The whole city did. I feel terrible we haven't been able to talk yet. On the record? I thought you'd be happy to see me. See who? I don't know who you are. Lois, it's me. You look like Superman. But Superman died. In my arms. I did. For my people, death doesn't have to be the end. Our technology was, is, far beyond what exists on Earth today. Part of that technology is encoded in my genome. Before I died, I was able to activate it so that it could rebuild and revive me. As a robot? I'm not a robot. These are just artificial replacement parts. A cyborg Superman. Just Superman. Okay. What was your last secret? I don't know. Half my memories are gone along with the rest of me. Then tell me what you do remember. I remember we were close. How close? Enough that it hurts to have you look at me like I'm a monster. The way you wrote about me, I never dreamed I'd lose you like this. Especially not now, when... Terrible things are coming, Lois. I can feel it. 
When the Daily Planet said Superman is dead, it painted a target on the Earth. Why did you come here? Because I need your voice. I can't protect the people if they think I'm a fake, Lois. Even if you won't believe I'm Superman, at least believe that I'm trying to do some good. And maybe write about that. Luthor, angry that Superboy wasn't declared the true Superman, forces Superboy to be security detail for the President of the United States. Superboy soon butts heads with the Justice League as the President arrives to launch the new Justice League Watchtower. Then, a boom tube opens and parademons terrorize the event. Superboy is defeated and the Justice League hold their own, while the cyborg Superman saves the President. Then the boom tube collapses and falls onto the League, appearing to have killed all of them. When cyborg Superman declared the real Superman, Luthor angrily reveals Superboy is a clone of Superman and himself. That is not Superman! We had a real opportunity here! A real opportunity, and you blew it! Come along, son. Lex is... Hey, I did what you told me to do. Everything I'm capable of doing. And you still lost. advantage Superman had, and more. And I appreciate you. Wait, more? Wait here. I remember this place. There you are. Dr. Donovan? What happened to you? Your father is a hard man. Father? Do you mean Superman? I don't work for Superman. Oh, no. I, I thought he would have told you. I, uh, I I didn't mean to... Well, look who's talking. Again. Mr. Luthor, please. What's going on? It's all right, Dabney. Tell him. What difference could it make now? I don't think I... Tell him. The DNA, your DNA, it's Superman's. Yes, but also... I told you I gave you more. All of Superman's strength, plus all the Luthor intellect. Supposedly. It just needs guidance, please. We got so much closer with this one than any of the others. Oh, you're right, Dabney. The current model really is leaps and bounds ahead of his brothers. I don't know what I was thinking. Let's go. And Dabney, you're fired. Killing Donovan out of frustration. While Cyborg Superman visits the grave of Terry H Henshaw, he gets a message from Darkseid to begin. Lois and Irons learn of, his, of this visit and discover that Cyborg Superman is really Hank Henshaw. Cyborg Superman announces to the world his plans for a new Justice League, a cyber corps. The Justice League were the best among us. As such, they would want us to celebrate today, not mourn. Yet here we are, 
surrounded by reminders in stone of the mournful times that have befallen our world. It's only by a miracle of alien science that I am here today, alive, standing in for the real heroes we lost. During the Doomsday Battle, the Watchtower attack, and too many other bloody incursions. We need to shut this asshole down. How? He's Superman to them. I could try to pitch the Henshaw story to Perry White, but without any evidence, he won't go near it. Which is why today, I am announcing the establishment of a new, stronger league, a cyber core, to honor those who have perished in the name of justice. And I'm taking volunteers. What the hell? I'd volunteer. What? But I don't have any power. No one has. Not really. But I can change all that if you come forth. Eric, no! Becky, please. This could change everything. For the world. For us. Welcome to the team. I can give each of you the power to be your own hero. The same technology that saved me can save us all. haven't been destroyed, only delayed. When they return, who will stand and fight with me? This is it. This is his plan. How the hell did Hank Henshaw get his hands on that kind of tech? Inner Gang's been running Luthor's Apocalypse tech. I can get to them. Find out if they have ties to Cyborg Superman. Sounds like a plan. I'll go lean on Lex. Everyone agrees, and while has Good results at first, many become drones in the process, losing their humanity. Lois recognizes the technology as Apocalyptian and questions Luthor's involvement as he's stolen the technology before. Steel confronts inner gang, Luthor's buyers of the tech, only to discover that they have been attacked by the Eradicator. Steel follows the weapon signal to the Fortress of Solitude, while Lois breaks into Luthor's penthouse and meets Superboy once again. Steel and the Eradicator fight while Lois and Superboy, and later Luthor, get a video call from the fight. Lois discovers the Eradicator is technology that protects Kryptonians and realizes that the real Superman is inside the fortress. Soon, Superman is revived and stops the fight. It's really you, isn't it? How? Honestly, I don't know. The robots keep calling it a revitalization cycle. But it's not something I'd ever heard of or knew was possible. What is this place? A fortress built to keep me isolated during this process. Does he have to just stand there like that? It's creeping me out. He's just trying to protect me. Then why was he drawing energy from you while you were in the pod? Quite the reverse. Kal-El was the one absorbing ion radiation from the Eradicator as part of the revitalization cycle. Highly advanced tech, programmed to protect my people. So he decides to put on a cape and dispense his own brand of justice? I'm just saying... Well, I 
can't tell you how glad I am to see you again. There's a lot you need to know. These broadcasts have brought me up to speed. Darkseid killed my friends, and people are being turned into monsters by that cyborg imposter. Hank Henshaw. The astronaut? I thought he was dead. I guess I didn't know everything. There's a lot of that going around. So, what's the plan, Dad? At the same time, Lois and Luthor see a broadcast from inside Cyborg Superman's mind, revealing Darkseid and his plans to invade. To think that all this was made possible when my doomsday weapon obliterated your primitive spacecraft. I plucked your lifeless corpse from the void and handed you a chance for glory. Yes, your grace. And all because a Kryptonian failed you. Even in death, he will pay for his crimes. To capture glory, Henshaw, you must first understand that sorrow, rage, and the thirst for vengeance are essential parts of the equation. And that he orchestrated the deaths of both Superman and the Justice League in response to the failure of his previous attempt. Lois and Luthor form a plan just as Superman, Steel, and Superboy head to Metropolis. Cyborg Superman begins the invasion, using the Cybercord to open a giant boom tube over Metropolis, as Lois heads inside the Watchtower and reveals to Cyborg Superman that she knows who he really is. When the Watchtower reveals the real Superman heading toward him, Henshaw betrays Darkseid and closes the boom tube, stopping the invasion so he can personally kill Superman and just take his revenge against him. He orders the drones to attack Metropolis, just as Superman arrives and the fight begins. The battle is one-sided, though, as Superman isn't at full strength yet, and Cyborg Superman reveals that he blames Superman for not being there to save him and his wife from the Excalibur space shuttle disaster. It isn't too late. There's always a way out. How about for my wife? Was there a way out for her? Is this what Terry would want? Don't say her name! You're not allowed to say her name! She's dead because of you! She was always apprehensive in space. She tried to hide it, but I knew. I told her she'd be okay. We all would. We had Superman. Until we didn't. Until my ship and my crew were debris. And you weren't even dead yet! Just too busy. All you hear today is how do we live in a world without Superman? Well, some of us already had to. Some of us watched as everything we had, everything we loved, was lost. Oh, give it a rest. <sighs> this isn't about your wife, and you know it. It's about you. You let Darkseid turn you into this. Superman turned me into this. Darkseid only rebuilt me and taught me how to wield my hatred as a weapon. Just like he done with Doomsday. That beast was only a mindless assassin, while I was set to a singular purpose. Destroy what remains of Superman. His good name. It was the best revenge I could hope for. Until now. Luthor uses the Mother Box to free the Justice League, who were actually imprisoned in another dimension, to help Steel and Superboy defeat the drones. Cyborg Superman launches the Watchtower into orbit in the hopes of murdering Lois and Superman in space. 
with Superman nearly defeated, Lois opens the Watchtower's windows so the sun's yellow rays shine on Superman, bringing him back to full power and allowing him to defeat and kill Cyborg Superman with the help from his wild card, the Eradicator. With Cyborg Superman dead, the battle ends when the drones are deactivated, although all the people who were turned into drones die in the process. Weeks later, Clark Kent is revealed to be alive, with the cover story of having been stranded off-grid during the Doomsday attack. And the real Superman, donning a new suit, is welcomed back to the world with open arms. Clark later tells Lois that Superboy and the new name Connor now lives with his parents, Jonathan and Martha Kent. In a post credit scene, the Justice League meet up at the Watchtower. Henshaw may be gone, but this was still the boldest move we've seen from Apocalypse yet. Darkseid won't stay down for long, and we can't play defense forever. Then we agree. We're going to have to take this fight to his doorstep. Excellent. Count me in. Team. Okay, who left the front door open? All right, so with the uh, synopsis read, I'm going to take a quick break, play a podcast promo, and then I'm going to come back and you know, I'm just going to talk about the movie. Hang around, folks. My name is Bob Fisher, and I'm the host of the Superman Forever radio podcast. On the Superman Forever radio podcast, I talk about Superman from 1938 to present day. And in 2018, we celebrate the 80th anniversary of the Man of Steel's first appearance in Action Comics with a full year of new episodes, more episodes, plus new features like The Adventures of Superman When He Was a Boy. Superboy is coming to the Superman Forever radio podcast. Also, the Superman Forever Roundtable Discussion Group, where I gather together some of the best Superman podcasters around, and we talk Superman. So if you want to know why I've been a Superman fan for over 60 years, point your favorite podcatcher to the Superman Forever radio podcast at supermanforever.com. All right, welcome back, folks. So, what are my thoughts on this film? My thoughts are, like I mentioned in the opening, it's probably as good of an adaptation as you're going to get in 87 minutes. Obviously, it doesn't do a lot of the things that the comics did. Co-City is not destroyed. There's no Mongol. Instead, we're having Darkseid, who, I don't know, I'm kind of starting to get a little bit burned out on Darkseid as the Ultimate Justice League villain. We seem to be going to uh, the Well of the Fourth World quite a bit. You know, wouldn't it be cool to see a modern Justice League movie either in live action or in animation go up against a modern version of the Legion of Doom? I think that would be cool. But I enjoyed the movie. The biggest problem, and this is probably a product of the runtime, I mean, somebody said that it takes about, these movies top out at about 75 minutes before they stop becoming profitable. They pushed this one to 87, the death of Superman was 82, so they're pushing a little bit beyond that and probably anticipating greater sales for this than maybe for your regular run-of-the-mill animated film. But where the comic story succeeds and this film fails a little bit is the comics, you know, went on for months. I'm pretty sure it ended at some point over the summer, but it started in maybe March. Without looking back, that's kind of my best guess. But either way, the story started with the four Superman titles and each of the four Supermen were featured in one of the titles. And it was probably two months 
before any of these supermen encountered each other. Maybe it was the end of the second month when it started happening, but we had time to get invested in the four supermen, and we had time to, you know, maybe pick a favorite and, uh, you know, find one that we really liked. I mean, these characters clearly did speak to people because they're the Eradicator less so, but the other three are still around. So this this story did create lasting characters, but... And this is something I'm going to talk about in the film, but just in this movie, I'm not as invested in the four Supermen as I was during the comic, Re- as I was reading the comic over those months, back when I was a kid. That's probably one of the greatest limitations of this format. But other than that, it was an enjoyable film. I enjoyed the 87 minutes I spent watching it, both times. The first time just to kind of watch and kind of wash myself in it. The second time to go through it and take some notes. So, diving right into this movie... Started by six months after Superman died and gives us a quick introduction to the four Supermen as Cat Grant is interviewing uh, G. Gordon Godfrey. It's been six months since Doomsday, and the world is still shaken by the death of Kal-El of Krypton. Better known to us as Superman. My guest is commentator G. Gordon Godfrey. Sir, you've written an editorial in which you call on us to reject so-called supers and effectively become our own heroes. We have an infestation, Cat. It's out of control. You're writing about the mysterious new Superman. The reality is, these are supermen we know nothing about. But they're actually making a difference. Did they make a difference to the Excalibur shuttle crew? We already have difference makers. The police. The Justice League. The Titans. But, Cat, the point of my editorial is to say that it's time for human beings to stop relying on leagues and titans and start saving ourselves. So we should each be our own Superman. I mean, isn't that exactly what these guys are doing? Stop fooling yourself, Cat. The Man of Steel is dead. We saw the body. Before it vanished. Look, we have no idea if a Kryptonian can even die. I mean, where's the body? Who cares? The real questions here are far more pressing. Who are these new guys? Why are they here? What is their place in a world without a Superman? For those of you who are familiar with the Legends crossover from the late 80s, he was the agent of Darkseid trying to turn people against the superheroes, and he's doing the same thing here, trying to uh, discourage people from embracing the new Superman. And I'm kind of mad at myself, just because right from here, you know, I should have sniffed out a Darkseid plot, just by the sheer presence of G. Gordon Godfrey. Other... I think Justice League Unlimited did this kind of uh, name-checked him, but I don't know if I remember if uh, Godfrey had a connection to uh, Apocalypse in that cartoon. It's been a while since I've watched that, so. As far as uh, the Superman goes, Superboy saves uh, this young couple. This young couple is going to be very important to the plot of the film, so their names are Eric and Becky. We will encounter them a few times throughout the course of the film. Steel saves Jimmy Olsen from a bus, and the Eradicator stops an intergang theft, which is a nice callback to... Uh, the Doomsday film where Superman saved the mayor from an intergang attack at the beginning of that movie. And the cyborg diverts uh, a missile from going from South Kasnia to North Kasnia. Now the Eradicator, the quote-unquote brutal one, 
You know, I wonder if he is a shot at the live-action films as the Eradicators S Shield looks like the one that Henry Cavill wears. And there are other uh, what could be perceived as shots at the uh, live-action product as this goes on. I'll leave it to you to decide whether or not uh, you think they are. I'll just point them out just for the fun of it. Now there's a staff meeting at the uh, Daily Planet office. There is a reporter named Sullivan. She seems to be a young woman, so I wonder if that's uh, supposed to be Chloe, who we were introduced to on Smallville. If it is, uh, they were wise to change her hair color, given the uh, legal predicament that Allison Mack is finding herself in these days. And even six months later, they're still adjusting to life after Clark, as Perry asks for Clark during the meeting, and Lois is missing as well. Apparently, uh, she has been kind of in and out of the office since uh, the death of Superman and the presumed loss of Clark. And uh, Perry White is definitely channeling uh, John Hamilton from The Adventures of Superman with a lot of uh, Don't Call Me Chiefs and uh, Great Caesar's Ghost. I don't find that they really work here. I don't know. When he says the lines, it just seemed forced. It never seemed forced when uh, John Hamilton did it. But just for some reason here, it just seems like they're trying to shoo that in just for the sheer sake of doing so. Back at Clark's apartment, Lois is cleaning things out. And uh, I really like how Lois is being uh, comforted by the Kents. Although the only scene I really remember of them being together was the uh, dinner scene in Doomsday, so I'm not necessarily kind of buying that they are this close, especially six months later. And the uh, My Last Secret note is on the counter, and that's going to loom large in this film. One thing I do like, though, is how Martha knows that none of the Supermen are Clark, so uh, Mother's Intuition. And uh, Lois points out that uh, when Superman arrived in the scene, nobody quite knew what to make of him or what to ask him, but Lois knows what to ask him. And we're not going to get the answer to that question now. We're going to see what questions she repeatedly asks ones that are claiming to be Superman. And really, only two of them are actually claiming to be the Superman. Uh, well, at the very least, Cyborg is, at first. In the comics, the Eradicator seemed to act as though he was presenting the idea that he was Superman come back to life. He's a little less talky here, and even though he looks and sounds somewhat like Superman, there is no scene where he actually says that, I'm Superman, he's just wearing the symbol and dishing out his own brand of justice. So Lois meets up with Wonder Woman, and uh, Diana is not very... And I like this conversation, too. Diana is not very good at the uh, social graces. I'm glad you called. I'm glad you came. I was hoping you could help me. I'm following... I never thought of us as rivals, you know. Are we? Kal-El and I had a special bond, but you were the love of Clark Kent's life. Anyway... I'm relieved he finally told you everything. Apparently, he didn't. I'm sorry, for an Amazon, I have surprisingly few girlfriends here. So I'm bad at this. It's okay. I don't have many girlfriends either. Anyway, the reason I called is that I'm following the story on the new Superman, and I was hoping that you or the League might have some inside information on these guys. Anonymous, deep background, just to help me direct my efforts. So, you didn't invite me here to grieve with you, as friends? Not really, no. Thank Hera. Despite my reputation, I'm not good at being touchy-feely. Lois, I don't have anything for you on the Superman. I wish I did. Off the record, the League's been stretched very thin since we lost Cal. I don't think the world realized how much they depended on him. I know the feeling. Oh, no, I'm sorry, Lois, I didn't. It's fine, really. It feels good to talk to someone who understands. I'm sorry to bother you about the new Superman. Forget I asked. Just between us. I like the brutal one with the visor. 
Apparently, I have a type. And here, Wonder Woman refers to him as Kal-El. So, why was it so hard for her to call him Cal in the previous film, instead of giving him crap over wanting to be called Superman? And why could... I asked this back then, too. Why couldn't she just call him Cal on the battlefield instead of Clark? Cal is Superman's name. After their talk, Lois and Diana get ice cream, which is a nice callback to Justice League War. You know, remember when she goes crazy for ice cream? That scene was done again in the Patty Jenkins movie, although it was much more understated, and I think I like that a lot better. Diana spins into her Wonder Woman costume, and uh, that's a nice callback to uh, the 1970s show. And, you know, it's high time that they change this Wonder Woman outfit, which you can't even really say is based on the New 52, because even her New 52 outfit looked a little more faithful to her comics origins than that. I wouldn't mind if they decided to, you know, put her something uh, similar to what she wears in the comics now or in the movies. So as far as Superboy goes, he's corporately sponsored by LexCorp, and uh, kind of like how he was sponsored by WGBS in the comics. <laughs> and now Lex rolls down a banner of him and s- showing him and Superboy, and here is a uh, making Metropolis safe again kind of a riff on Donald Trump's Make America Great Again campaign slogan. They had the villain invoke that phrase. Make of that what you will. I like seeing Lois digging around while at the party, and she discovers the areas where the clones were made. And she tries to charm some info out of Dabney Donovan, and John Henry is kind of lurking around on the side. But before uh, Lois really finds out a ton, a fight with the four Supermen breaks out at Superboy's party. The Eradicator kind of shows up to uh, take out Lex, and a brawl ensues eventually between the four of them. Like I mentioned before, in the comics, it's applied that the Eradicator comes to think of itself as Superman. I mean, I did mention that he presented himself as Superman, but I always thought even that the Eradicator thought he was Superman. Unclear here in the film. During this fight, though, there is a great shot of the Eradicator flying downward and shattering the glass around him. Really cool-looking shot. And even though Superboy is not technically Superman, he does lay it on a little thick about being Superman. After the fight and everything is kind of settled, the Eradicator goes back to the fortress, and something I missed the first time around watching this film is when the robots ask if they should wake him, I thought they were referring to the Eradicator as if he was Kal-El. But no, knowing that Superman will come out of the spaceship later, they're definitely talking about Superman. That interpretation didn't feel right the first time I watched it, now I know why it makes more sense. They're not talking about the Eradicator, they're talking about Kal-El and the ship. So the uh, cyborg shows up at Lois' door after she writes her story question whether whether the Supermen are real, and he kind of invokes Superman the movie by landing on her porch. He's definitely trying to convince her that he's Superman, but he can't answer any of her questions, including his last secret. In the comics, the cyborg seemed to remember the farm and the name Kent. It never made sense to me in the comic why he'd remember those things, but... Maybe some kind of genetic memory in the uh, ship from which he got Superman's DNA, I don't know. But the cyborg does make a compelling argument for him being Superman, especially if you don't know how he's going to end up. So we follow that, and we get some a montage of some Superman action, and there are some newspaper headlines that invoke comic covers. The photo of uh, Steel busting through a wall is from the cover of the newsstand edition to Superman the Man of Steel number, 12, number 22. There's a picture of the Eradicator firing down up some gunmen with his energy blasts. That is the cover of Action Comics 690. The one of the cyborg holding Metallo by the throat is inspired by Adventures of Superman number 503. But in that comic, he's holding Superboy by the throat, and instead of a fist, his right hand is a blowtorch. So we go right from there to a conversation with Lex and Superboy, and I absolutely love this, where the teen does not care. The only thing he cares about is that he's not called Superman. Being Superman is the only thing that matters to him, and... He kind of spits on anything else. The typical rebellious teenager. Now, Luthor says that the clone is swimming around like a clown. And I wonder if that's a reference to the fact that Superboy's voice actor plays the character that we believe to be the Joker on Gotham. The reason why I say that we believe to be the the Joker on Gotham is because I haven't watched Gotham in several years. 
So whether that's been conf- whether his character has been confirmed to be the Joker, I don't know. But I guess we'll find out. Maybe I'll, I'll eventually get around to finishing that show. And during this scene, we have a shot of Superboy leaning on a wall on a newspaper. That's from Adventures. That's from the newsstand edition of Adventures of Superman number five hundred one. So there are your referenced covers. So we go from there to the launch of the Justice League Watchtower, and the League doesn't like the kid at all, and I don't really blame them. He's arrogant, as only a teenager can be. Green Lantern has a constructed uh, bazooka or rocket launcher, and he has the shot. And I love this exchange where Batman tell, tells him to take it. Batman can be humorous, although he's best when he is unstated. When his humor is understated. The president looks a lot like Hillary Clinton, who appeared as the first lady during Superman's funeral in Man of Steel number 20. Now, there's a reference here to Superboy being filled up with 90s sitcoms. When he was created in the 90s, Cadmus kind of filled him up with a lot of 90s MTV and teen culture, which made him kind of insufferable. So I wonder if those are the same things that are making him insufferable now. But it's a nice callback to the fact that the clone was created in the 1990s. So now we have an action set piece here, and I was surprised to see Parademons enter the fray, but like I said before, I shouldn't have been, as we saw G. Gordon Godfrey earlier. The president is Joan Dale, that is the name of Miss America of the All-Star Squadron and the Freedom Fighters and the Justice Society of America, one of my DC Universe blind spots and one that I really need to get around to correcting one of these days. Now, she's saved by the cyborg Superman, which reminds me a lot of Superman number 79, where the cyborg saved then-President Bill Clinton and uh, got the White House's seal of approval as to one true Superman. So it is nice that they're borrowing certain beats from the original story, even if they're playing out in uh, quite a different fashion. Now, I will say this is Boom 2, which kind of looks like a big ring, kind of falling on the Justice League, and it's kind of an inelegant way to take them off the table. It just kind of falls on them, makes a big crash, and they're gone. Now, Lex is not too pleased with Cyborg getting all the glory. I mean, I guess if I invested this much into making Superboy appear as the one true Superman, I would be kind of upset too, but nothing is doing. The Cyborg got the glory, and the team did not. So, more uh, being a clown, I guess. And they go down to see Donovan, who (laughs) accidentally shoots his mouth off again, and he reveals to the kid that he got some DNA from Luthor. I guess, uh, to this point, Superboy believed that he was 100% Superman clone, but... Those of us who read the uh, original story and the comics of the time know that there were some kind of, uh, some portions of Superman's DNA strand they couldn't read. So I guess they just kind of cut those out and replaced them with Luthor DNA, kind of like Jurassic Park style. Now, Dabney does convince Luthor not to destroy the kid because Lex was going to kill the clone. He goes to the little secret compartment there and he pulls out a kryptonite needle, which probably would have killed which would have killed the clone, and I guess from there they would have grown a new one, but Dabney does kind of stop Lex from doing that and kind of mentioning that he is the closest that they came to a successful clone of Superman. Maybe there was a chance that they couldn't duplicate the experiment. I don't see why they couldn't, but I guess this was was as close to success as they were going to get, so they may as well stick with this, I guess. And uh, so instead of killing uh, the clone, Lex kind of just leaves Dabney Donovan in the basement with a whole bunch of monsters, which could be the previous versions to clone Superman. I don't know what these guys are. They look a lot like the uh, DNA aliens that Donovan created during the post-crisis era. But either way, they kill him, and Dabney is ejected from the story at this point. Now, then we get the kind of the first clue that something is wrong with Cyborg, as he is spoken to by Darkseid, and the Cyborg defers to him as Master. So, and then we get our next clue, which is we see him at the grave of... T- of Terry Henshaw, the wife of the astronaut from the first film. You know, the one that told her, don't worry, we got Superman. Which turned didn't turn out very well for Hank, I will tell you that. So, Lois, knowing Superman's identity, she can glean from this that this is not Superman. 
So here, Steel will enter his lab and the machines take off his armor. This is a little too uh, MCU Iron Man for me, but I do love how Lois is waiting for him in his lab. And they do have a little brief chat about it. And Lois points out that uh, since she's pretty bad with secret identities, I guess she's saying if she can figure it out, anyone can figure it out, anyone can. Together, they figure out that Henshaw is the cyborg Superman. And then, you know, here's where the plot turns as Superman makes his speech honoring the Justice League. It's a compelling speech, very Superman-ish. He uh, wants everybody to be their own hero, and he's taking volunteers for his cyber corps. And uh, <coughs> he gets a volunteer, much to his girlfriend's chagrin. And this is the couple that was saved by Superboy in the opening of the film. So Eric is converted into a cyborg and, and flies off. And he shows off his strength to the wonder of the crowd, and that brings a bunch of other volunteers. The cyber beings basically erase the identities of their hosts, as evidenced by Eric not recognizing Becky uh, later on when she's mugged. So Steel looks into the alien technology, and he tracks the Eradicators to the fortress. Now, when John Henry calls Lois, he refers to the goggled Superman as the Eradicator. I'm not sure how he knows that. Maybe the press gave the Eradicator its name? I don't know. Knowing the Kryptonian device was the Eradicator informed the readers at the time, but in-universe, I don't know how Steel knows to call the Eradicator the Eradicator. Either way, the Eradicator attacks Steel at the fortress, and uh, they're fighting again. And uh, Superboy decides it's time to help. Lex won't let him, in a scene that reminded me a lot of what happened during the comics Doomsday arc, where Supergirl, or at that time, the Matrix Supergirl, wanted to leave and help Superman, but Luthor, with whom she was uh, romantically linked with in that story, at that time, tells her not to because they need her to defend Metropolis. But Superboy doesn't have it. He tears the L off his jacket and flies off. So, basically told his dad to uh, take this job and shove it. So Lois has figured out that the Eradicator's game and that Superman is in the ship being regenerated. And now we start getting this image of Henshaw kneeling before Darkseid, uh, getting his orders. And I love Tony Todd as Darkseid. That deep, gravelly voice is perfect for Darkseid, in my opinion. You know, I liked Michael Ironside in the role back during the animated series days, but... Tony Todd previously played the role of Darkseid in some Lego movies, which I have not covered in this podcast. But even so, I think he does a great job. I also love Bibbo in these movies, inspiring the people to protest the cyborgs and becoming their own superheroes. Bibbo is probably the most Superman-like character around right now, and he's doing what I believe Superman would want him to do, even if he did have to agree with the cyborg on, a, on at least that one point, that they need to be their own heroes. And oh, uh, by the way, immediately after we find that the Justice League is fighting some monster in an own in an unknown place, just to uh, remind us that they're still around. Now, and I'm not saying that, this, that the cyborg chasing the Justice League off in, on a bogus space mission is any better in the comic, but there it is. Now, I like how during the fight that the in the fortress, the uh, body and the ship starts moving, you know, the fingers move, the arms move, and things, you can tell that something's about to happen. Now, comes Superman in a black suit, a long-haired Superman, and he kind of gives the Eradicator help. And he has long hair and a beard. Or, at the very least, a 5 o'clock shadow. Kind of like that fake Henry Cavill photo we kept seeing before, before Justice League. Again, this film is giving us everything that the DCEU films didn't. And things have gotten so bad that even Lex is hoping Superman is alive. How often do you see that? Lex Luthor hoping for Superman. Never. Even in the most dire of circumstances, Lex Luthor does not feel he needs Superman. So for him to admit, hope that Superman is alive... That tells you that things are awful. So now we have a long conversation between Superman and Steel about what happened to him. While it appeared that the Eradicator was drawing energy from the ship, apparently the Eradicator was giving energy to Superman. 
Superman learns about Henshaw, and then Superboy shows up and calls Superman dad. And I love the side eye that Superman gives the clone at hearing this. Kind of like, well, what, what, what the hell? Trying to figure out what the hell this kid is talking about. Lex, meanwhile, is figuring out that Henshaw is working for Darkseid, which makes a whole lot more sense to me than Mongol working for Henshaw. I mean, the cyborg Superman was such a new villain at that time, and even though Superman had previously humiliated Mongol during the Exile arc back in uh, 89, I just have a hard time believing that Mongol would bow down to the cyborg Superman the way he did. That part of the story just never rung true to me. <laughs> There's some levity in the fortress, too, and as the Eradicator misinterprets Superboy's line about getting the girls, he uses it as an opportunity to tell Superman to uh, keep it in his leotard until he's fully powered, which <laughs> created an awkward moment among everybody. I don't even think I laughed at the first time I heard that. I think I was more confused, kind of wondering whether or not I actually heard what I thought I heard. Now, the animation is good enough that you can see the confusion on everyone's face at the line, <laughs> as well as how deadpan the Eradicator is when he says it. And, of course, Superman is also depowered, like he was in the original story. So they all leave the fortress, Superman taking off in his ship. Kind of reminds me of Super Friends, where, where the Bat Rocket launches out of the Hall of Justice. And so the Eradicator isn't flying off at them, so that's the uh, first clue that he's downloaded into the crystal. The Eradicator insisted on coming along. Steel thought he was too much of a wild card, and this will come into play later. Now, also, I love Rain Wilson as Lex Luthor. He's just, he's perfectly smug. Guys, I'm getting an incoming call from a LexCorp number. Could be Lois. I'm bouncing it over. Oh, it's you. Lex Luthor, as I live and breathe. Yeah, what's that about? Where's Lois? As much as I'd love to chat, I'm only calling to ask Sonny Boy if he wouldn't mind popping by for a stretch. I'm downtown in the thick of it, and, well, I could use some muscle. The boy stays with me, and I need to know now that Lois is all right. Oh, she's fine. She's in the watchtower. What? I also love how pissed Superman gets when he finds out Lois is in the watchtower. He kind of grits his teeth and kicks that rocket ship into full gear. So Darkseid reveals during his monologue here that he sent Doomsday to kill Superman, and he still indicate that Henshaw coming to him was kind of a happy accident, but as far as the animation goes, Darkseid should be a little grayer. He will, he's very, you know, black here, like a very shiny black rock. I mean, Darkseid has always kind of looked very rock-like, except now he looks a lot darker and a lot shinier. So Lois arrives to uh, meet with Henshaw as the minions leave. It really reminded me of Luke going to meet the Emperor in Return of the Jedi. So, here's the deal. Henshaw cannot stand to let Darkseid kill Superman, so eventually he will start ripping things out of his head and eventually tearing out the mother box to prevent Darkseid from coming to Earth. So Darkseid does not figure very heavily into the outcome of this story as he is leading some sending some parademons through. But before anybody from Apocalypse gets through, Henshaw closes the gate. And of course that is all at Lois's instigation. And as far as the gate itself goes, a very uh ring like gate, not kind of what I'm used to seeing from a boom tube. It looks more like a portal than anything else, but it really reminds me of the ring from the TV show, The Expanse, and if you're not watching that, you're definitely doing yourself a disservice. As to me, that has got to be one of the best space-based science fiction TV shows, probably since Babylon 5. So as far as Henshaw goes, I'm not sure how he is functioning after he pulls the mother box out of his chest, but he is. And now that he's found out, there's no reason for Superman's voice to come out of his mouth. Much more Patrick Fabian here. Meanwhile, on the outside, Bibbo is leading the charge against the Cybercore. Even though the humans probably don't stand a chance, they're, you know, they're giving it their shot there. Doing everything they can to uh, defeat the bad guys here. Now here is Superman uh, emerging from the ship, and Lois will get to ask him her question. The napkin at Bibbo's. 
What was your last secret? I love you. Clark. I love you. Sorry to interrupt this tender moment. And he passes the test. What was his last secret? I love you. The right answer. That's what he wrote on the card. Nobody else was able to answer that. They went a little bit differently in the comics. You were really rewarded for paying attention because she asked him what his favorite movie was. No, she didn't actually ask him anything. She wouldn't give him the time of day, and he basically whispers to kill a mockingbird into her ear, which was Clark's favorite movie. And that's how he kind of got her into the hangar, where he started kind of running down uh, everything they've done together, all their, you know, kind of relationship milestones, and then kind of laid a kiss on her and kind of convinced her. Not as much time for that here. We just kind of get the, what was my last secret? I love you. We move on. And Superman uh, does have some power left as he is uh, gets hit by the rocket, so... If he doesn't have his powers, that would kill him. Doesn't here, though. And then at one point, Henshaw says he's going to deal with Lois later. That's when we get the over-my-dead-body line from the comics, which was the first thing Superman said when he arrived in Metropolis, as he came out of the Kryptonian battlesuit. Obviously, no Kryptonian battlesuit in this movie. The rocket that he flew in served that purpose. But Superboy was saying that the cyborg was going to destroy Metropolis. Out he came from the suit and said, over-my-dead-body. So, now we kind of move into the, into the uh, boss battle, which apparently is some kind of now thing we don't like in superhero movies. Huh? This is kind of a necessity. We have to have the big battle at the end. They can't just hug it out or something, and... But I do love that during the whole time they're fighting, Superman is trying to save Henshaw. I still think, in life, Henshaw maybe had a little too much faith in Superman. I'm not saying he neglected things at his end, but he was pretty confident that Superman would, would save them no matter what if something went wrong. Almost as if he felt Superman owed him something, which... I don't know why he would feel that way. Maybe he was just too much of a super fan for his own good. And I love Lois basically telling Henshaw that everything is his fault. And then Henshaw reveals that Doomsday was Darkseid's assassin, tying the whole thing together. I think I can get behind Doomsday being sent by Darkseid just for the movie's purpose. Maybe I like that a little bit better than Doomsday just happening to be from Krypton. It makes it seem like this thing was a whole overarching plot by Darkseid, who is kind of the master planner, and this is definitely the kind of thing he would orchestrate. So Lex plugs uh, into the drones and brings the Justice League home, and he wastes no time giving them orders. So now, to uh, get away from the League, Henshaw is putting the Watchtower into orbit for them. And the fight between Superman and Henshaw is brutal. This film earns every bit of its PG-13 rating. And it also makes me think that Superman has more power here than we realize, because he is taking a beating, and he's holding his own against Henshaw. He doesn't use his gun as much as you would think he does. He It's for the most part a fist fight. But Lois does kind of get a pistol and shoot at Henshaw a little bit, and I think she, who, to get him to stop beating on Superman, dodges his heat vision a little too easily. But she's going to save the day, and we see the sun, and she's going to open the windows. Smart girl. I like, And I like this being recharged by the sun better than the Eradicator changing the kryptonite energy in the comics, even though that gave us a whole year's worth of storylines going forward. And I do like that Henshaw nicks her with his heat vision a few times as she's moving toward the uh, the controls to open the, the windows. Not so much the windows, but the, uh, the blast doors to let the sun in. That way, it's not easier than it should be. Because it was always weird. Henshaw would fire heat vision and she would just kind of float out of the way. Like he had bad aim or she was moving faster than she should be. And now Henshaw is yelling at Superman to open his eyes. And who didn't guess that when Superman opened his eyes at Henshaw's prodding that they were going to be red, followed by heat vision. You know, the angry red eyes of anger. 
So, here we go. Full-powered Superman, who uh, is not going to kill Henshaw, but he's got a wild card. And Superman just stabs Henshaw in the head with the crystal, which I guess traps Henshaw's consciousness into the crystal. And then the Eradicator uh, either kills him or lives with Henshaw in the crystal. I don't know. Either way, the threat is dealt with. And we do have a nice image of Lois and Clark kissing in front of the sunrise as everything comes to a close. Another thing that's unclear, I'm guessing all the uh, Cyber Corps volunteers who lost their electronics at the uh, end of the battle have died. It would have been a little too pat if they had just woken up and if nothing happened. So maybe it's best for the story that they kicked the bucket. So now here is bearded Clark and Superman. This is supposedly, supposedly some time later. And you can tell right away that Superman is in a slightly different outfit. He has no more high collar and a little bit of a brighter blue costume. At least I think it's a little bit brighter. Now, I am glad that the high collar is gone, even if the trunks aren't back. Just, I hated the way that collar looked during the course of the new 52-based animated film. So, I'm glad that we're getting away from that. It's keeping the red belt, so I guess it looks more like the Rebirth suit than anything else. And not really even the Rebirth suit, the suit that he wore after Superman Reborn. Now, the main difference here from the comic is that when Clark was recovered in the comics, the Matrix Supergirl posed as Clark, while in this, the uh, Martian Manhunter posed as Superman. And you can tell, too, uh, Superman's voice does sound a bit off and awkward. And uh, Clark cuts his hair immediately after, after, so we're back on model. And uh, Connor, the clone, becomes Connor Kent, and he goes to live with the Kents. Now, the one thing, I would have liked to have seen a reunion with Clark and his parents, but I guess there wasn't enough time in the film for that. And then uh, Clark gets a call that he's late to a Justice League meeting, and we got a great shirt rip as he flies off. And I love how the stack of papers flies off the racks as he takes off. Very uh, Superman 2. For those of you that remember, the, the newspapers blow off the rack when Superman arrives for the, the fight Zod. And I love how this ending shot of Superman flying off. Very evocative of how the Christopher Reeve films ended. Now we uh, got our post credit scene, and it's of the Justice League discussing Darkseid, possibly setting up an unannounced Justice League film. I hope so. I'd, li- I'd like to see this story continue with Lex Luthor in the League and Justice League taking the war to Darkseid. So that's definitely something that would be very appealing. Lex is a member of the, of the League. It's a little hard to swallow, but these films did set him up as a guy who would work for the benefit of Earth. He tried to help Superman with Doomsday, and he helped the good guys at the end of this. But what I geeked out about the most was seeing the yellow S on the cape. So I'm glad to see that back. I wonder when this film was animated. If it was before Superman got the trunks back, you know, I've learned to live with trunkless Superman, but I won't argue if they do come back. But my next costume pet peeve is definitely going to be cape clasps. Yeah, I'm looking at you, Supergirl. Well, at the very least, uh, Superman wearing the cape clasps. As far as the movie goes, I really enjoyed it. It wasn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but it was worlds better than Superman Doomsday, I'll say that. I wish I was more invested in the four Supermen, but there's only so much you can cram into an 87-minute film. So, next time, no idea. Keep it tuned to the Facebook page and Twitter. There will probably be an episode on Justice League vs. The Fatal Five when that comes out, but I'm not sure if there'll be anything between now and then. There may be, there may not be, who knows. But for right now, if you want to send feedback on the episode, it's always welcome. Manascreen at gmail.com. If you want to join the conversation over the Facebook group, just put Manascreen Podcast in your search feed and the show should come up. You can also find the show on Twitter at Manascreencast. So, until next time, folks, we're all on the same team. Good night. The Man of Screen Podcast is produced by Mike Jumo 
No opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zemo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright their original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. Email to this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com. And you can also leave the show a review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. Thank you for listening to the Man of Screen Podcast. Thank you.